At EFM, we recognize that the local church is inseparable with the impact of the global gospel, and it is our desire to connect the local church to a global field of impact. Welcome back to the EFM Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Tyndale. Today on the EFM Podcast, I get the privilege of introducing you to a couple of ladies who are working in a very difficult ministry in the red light districts of Lexington, Kentucky. Their names are Janie and Rachel. Janie and Rachel work with an organization called Natalie's Sisters, and we're going to let them tell you how the organization came to be and what they do. But I would like you to key in on a really cool testimony. That is that Janie, uh, she actually used to work in the strip clubs as a dancer, and God got a hold of her and pulled her out, cleaned her up, and then sent her back. And the impact that she's making is absolutely incredible. Now, the EFM podcast exists to, as you've heard me say many times, create missional conversations to equip the local church for a global impact. As I have interacted with this ministry of reaching trafficked people, the first time I was exposed to it, it was something in Cambodia, uh, something going on way over on the other side of the ocean. And as time has gone on, we have seen more and more that this is, it's not merely an issue out there, way out there. It's an issue that affects people who live right in the middle of the buckle of the Bible Belt. And as you're going to hear, this is just one section of the city of Lexington where there is an actual ministry going on to reach women who are using their bodies as a sexual form of income. So whether that's common street prostitution or serving as dancers at the reprobate clubs, Janie and Rachel and the team there at Natalie's Sisters are doing their best to provide a way out and to provide a conversation to start the way out for these ladies. As we've said before on the podcast, we are privileged to get to interact with a wide variety of the body of Christ, and they have seen a need, and they have used whatever resources they have to speak to that and to reach out to that. And while they do some things that you might do differently, my point here isn't to criticize or castigate what they're doing, but to offer this as an example to say, well, if they're doing something that is helping people walk out of that rotten, wicked lifestyle, then maybe there's some things there that could help encourage you to start this in your own neighborhood. And if you wanted to come alongside and volunteer and and watch what they're doing and then carry that back to your own place, I think that would be a win-win for for everyone. Now, when the microphones closed and we finished up the interview, we actually had uh, some more just free-flowing conversation. And one of the things that came out in that conversation that unfortunately we missed during the recording, but I wanted to make sure you heard, was that the ladies that go into this, uh, a lot of times they go into the dancing scene with hopes in their eyes that, you know, the young lady will get to be a good dancer and, and maybe she'll get stars in her eyes. And hopefully if she does a good enough job at the clubs, then she'll be able to go on and be a big star and maybe in the movies or somewhere where there's, there's a, a big market for that. 
But one thing that Janie said is that once you start, you simply cannot continue. You cannot perform well. You cannot endure the physical and emotional rigors of what it takes to be what the clients want to see as a top-notch dancer unless you enhance that performance with addictive narcotics. And so a lot of these ladies, as a way to perform better and mentally, emotionally check out, once they're in it, they might start clean, but they never stay clean. And so drugs, if if they're not there to get them into the dancing business, the drugs are there to supplement them, to keep them in the dancing business. And then they get sucked into this, this awful whirlpool of sin that just destroys their life. And so this is a horrifying and terrifying industry of Satan that only the church, only the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power that it takes to set these ladies free and to take on the industry. I mean, the industry itself is a Goliath in its own right. And so I want to challenge those of you who are listening to listen with an open ear towards what God is speaking to you and also with open eyes to see where in your community something similar may be happening. Now, finally, I'll just add that we are talking about some fairly mature themes. So, parents, you may want to preview this before younger ears uh, listen to the full podcast. Let's bring you now to a great conversation with Janie Lewis and Rachel Hamilton. I want to read you this quote from their website that I think will challenge you. The most pervasive myth about human trafficking is that it often involves kidnapping or physically forcing someone into a situation. In reality, most traffickers use psychological means, such as tricking, defrauding, manipulating, or threatening victims into providing commercial sex or exploitative labor. Well, that's that does kind of grab us uh, and make us pay attention and... You guys have seen the problem. You've been involved with the issue now. I think Janie said you've been doing this now for 22 years. So tell me a little bit about uh, what started this program to reach out to trafficked women and bring us up to speed on what you're doing today. Okay. Well, in about 23 years ago, I was working at Southland Christian Church, which is a church here in Lexington, on their women's ministry team at the time. And I had lunch with my daughter and a friend of ours, and we were just talking about how can we serve out of our experience? Where would be the best place to serve? And so as a teenage mom, I had worked as a dancer, quote unquote, in several local clubs. And so my heart was for the women who were working in what are euphemistically called gentlemen's clubs. My daughter had worked with a ministry that was reaching out to clubs in Atlanta, uh, just as a guest uh, team member. And the other lady that we were with had um, dealt with addictions of her own. She had not worked in the clubs, but she had been in them a lot because of her addiction. So at that time, the three of us, just having lunch one day, sat down and decided that we wanted to reach out to women who were working in the clubs. We didn't know how we were going to do it, but we did. And we got in and we started taking meals once a month in the very beginning. But we realized quickly that wasn't enough to develop relationships. 
And so we ended up going weekly to five or six, sometimes, I think at one point it was seven or eight local entertainment clubs. We went once a week taking a home-cooked meal. We went in very uh, low-key. We didn't wear Christian t-shirts. We didn't take in Bibles. We were there just to meet the ladies where they were and to be a resource to them and let them know that people cared about them and that God cared about them. And we let him develop those relationships and we let God direct the conversations so that they were not threatening and so that the owners and the managers were accepting of us. In fact, we developed quite a few relationships with owners and managers as well who looked to us to provide resources for the ladies when they needed them. So that went on until 2011. And then we started praying because we felt like God was calling us to do something else in addition to what we were doing in the clubs. And we started praying January of 2011. We prayed for a solid year. And then January 1st of 2012, we got a call from a former manager of one of the clubs we had served in, who was now out of the clubs and serving on our prayer team. And he said, Janie, um, you all need to know that there was a murder in Lexington last night. It was the first murder in 2012. And it was a young woman we had served in the clubs. And she had moved to street prostitution and online escorting. And so her name was Natalie. And so we realized very quickly that was God's answer to our prayer, that prayer is good, but it's time to move, and this is the direction we want you to add. So we went through several steps. We went with our security team captain, who happened to be an undercover police officer, and asked him, because even though I had been in the clubs, I was able to get us into that world, but I had never been involved in street prostitution or in escorting, didn't know anything about that life. And so he introduced us to a police officer who had been in this neighborhood, which is the hub of uh, prostitution activity in Lexington. And we met with him. It was supposed to be a lunch meeting. I think about four hours later, we left Panera with our first client calling us that day. She called before I could even get back to church. So we began our street outreach in 2012. We did not have a bricks and mortar location. We were just working on the street. We were doing drive drop off. We had a partnership with the police department and they would drive us and we would go out and they would, at that time we didn't know the girls on the street. So they would introduce us to the ladies on the street and ask if they would like to talk to us to see if we could help them in any way. We did that until 2016 and then we found this location and opened up drop-in center, which has made all the difference in the world. So the ladies now have access to our facility. And I'll let Rachel take over so I can breathe a minute, and she can tell you what we do now. So at our drop-in center, we're open Monday through Friday, and we serve breakfast, lunch, and provide a snack bag, which has shelf-stable protein, fruit, something salty, and a sweet snack, so that if in the times between when we're open, they don't have something to eat, they at least have their snack bag. We also distribute legging bags, leggings and t-shirts. We give those out on Mondays. We do flip-flops, tennis shoes, toiletry kits, Narcan. Basically, we're, we try to meet those basic needs as much as we can. And then whenever they're ready for something bigger, whatever that is, they come talk to me. And I do referrals for medical treatment, dental, detox, residential healing, I did somebody's taxes, probably won't do that again. <laughs> um, stimulus checks, whatever their point B is, I'm the person who gets them from point A to point B. Okay, wow. So you've started by giving meals out. And it's really interesting that the, the opening quote that I read, they're into this because of relationships and the once a month was not 
a sufficient relationship. So relationships are key. How does a young lady or whatever age lady, what's the path into the trafficked uh, lifestyle? So as we all know, the addiction problem in Kentucky and frankly the whole country is out of control. And one thing that traffickers use to control people is controlled substances. So we've seen a million times they have a boyfriend who starts getting them drugs, they get hooked, and then it's a few weeks in and he says, you owe me money for everything I'm giving you and this is how you're going to make it up to me. Or don't come home until you have the money or take care of a couple of my friends and I'll get you what you need. And so when we think of traffickers, a lot of times we think about faceless men, you know, throwing you in a truck, but it's boyfriends and husbands and even soulmates. soulmates. We hear all the time. He's my soulmate. And even family members, you know, mothers with their own daughters. It's, It's a generational thing. We have probably 10 or 11 sets of mother and daughters who are clients here. Oh my. And we even have a grandmother, mother, daughter mm-hmm. who all started, you know, at a young age. It's this generational cycle. And, the, you know, there's other ways too. A lot of these ladies have mental health issues that are untreated and they're taken advantage of by people they trust. They might be homeless and they're told the only way you can stay here on my couch is if you perform sexual favors. And then it's the choice between do I do this or do I sleep in an alley? Just all the things, like all the mental health and the drugs just allow these women to be manipulated Mm -hmm. so easy by people who are just looking to take advantage of them. And the girls in the clubs, a lot of times that's single moms who don't have any kind of schooling past high school if they've made it through high school and they don't feel like they have a choice. Wow. So this is uh, this is definitely from the pit of hell. This is demonic at its core. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, my, the, the dysfunction there is heartbreaking. So you've got these people with a complex array of problems, and you're reaching out to them. What's the way out? How, do, how does that transpire? So ideally, it would be sending them to a residential healing facility. We have two programs we love that are faith-based and they focus more on healing from trauma and not just healing from substance use because until you address the trauma it's just not going to work so a long-term residential healing transitional housing employment but for everybody that it's not going to work for everybody Um, so that's why i do the small things to get people a little, a little step up from wherever they're at, whether that's just going to having a case manager or seeing a therapist. They may not feel like residential is for them, so we try some outpatient first. Just Whatever step they're willing to take, yeah. we will walk with them until they're ready to make what we know is what may be the ultimate step they need to take for yeah. change. Wow. So through the outreaches, giving the meals and riding along with police cars and whatever you you found these ladies they have access so where do you fit on the path out we're the very first touch we call it a first touch ministry Mm -hmm. we don't expect anything from them if they're high when they get here as long as they're not disruptive that's not going to disqualify them from anything we don't require them to sit through a service or anything we just Mm -hmm. serve them with love so it's that very first touch that i don't don't Mm -hmm. believe anybody else in Lexington at least is doing. Yeah, we also, we do not terminate services. Mm -hmm. 
So a lot of agencies, if you no-show on a couple of appointments, they'll terminate services with you. That would never happen here. Even if you have been clean a long time and you relapse and you want to come back, we're always here, open arms, no mm -hmm. judgment. And I've heard that from the ladies that they feel like, mm -hmm. you know, you have people who sometimes are embarrassed to come back, but they come back because they know that we're always going to be here. Great. Now, you mentioned earlier that you've been able to develop relationships with some of the strip club owners. Mm -hmm. What does that relationship look like? I know it sounds really strange, but it happens. I mean, they, in the first place, they probably look to us as a, just as a resource. They know that if they've got a trouble with a girl who has an addiction or she needs furniture for her apartment or she needs some kind of a resource, he, she knows they can give them our contact information and we'll do the best we can to help them in whatever situation they're in. So that's probably how the relationships generally develop. We're also kind of keeping the girls um, healthy. You know, we, we'll get them to the doctor. Uh, we'll do whatever it takes. Whatever we resources we have are available to the women on the street, the women in the clubs, all of them. So they just have learned that they can trust us. We're not there to try to drag the girls out, although we have had girls leave with us before. But, you know, honestly, if they lose a girl, there's another girl knocking at the door. There's never a shortage of women to work, so we haven't had an issue with that. So, yeah, it's just a basic, I think they re rely on us to help the girls. So tell us the story of Natalie is, boy, that's, that's heart-wrenching. Uh, tell us about some of her sisters that you've been able to see walk through. So we have like a list that we keep of people who are doing well, who are in recovery. Uh, it's got about 45 people on it right now that we've identified. And a couple of those, one just came up on her two years and her testimony is incredibly powerful. She had been struggling with addiction since her teenage years, had been raped, shot, beaten on the streets, overdose and is now a little over two years clean, mm. uh, is a peer wow. support specialist. Wow. And is, I mean, just looks like a whole new person living a wonderful mm. life. And then we have somebody who's on the newer side of being clean. We just sent her to a partner residential healing and she spent 60 days there and then came out and just moved into her own new apartment. Mm -hmm. And she came by to see us with her van all loaded down with furniture. And she said it was like a resort. <laughs> it was wow. so peaceful. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't always happen. You know, you send people to treatment and then sometimes they're back out using right away. But we've seen some wonderful mm -hmm. success stories. The other day, I, I keep in touch with a lot of the ladies on Facebook. You know, Facebook has its dark side, but it also has a very positive side. God and Facebook together can do miraculous things. And so I keep in touch with a lot of girls on Facebook. And I saw the other day, I think I sent you a mm -hmm. note, there was a girl that I knew from the days before we opened here. She has eight years clean. We worked with her just doing the drop-offs. And then I saw one, two, I think that we're right at one at six years and one at five years, yeah. I believe. The five, the one that lady who has five years clean and sober and is doing well back with family, uh, has had new, another child. I can remember sitting in our kitchen with a needle broken off in her neck. So to see that, that juxtaposition between mm -hmm. when she was here before she got help to how she's doing now is just such a blessing. So in all of this, how is the gospel introduced? 
Well, hopefully they're seeing it every single day. We sure. have um, devotions and prayer in the morning, and we ask God to lead the right women here and mm-hmm. to look to for Him to give us, to be able to look beyond what they're saying to know exactly what it is each one of them needs. And each one of them, they, they all know exactly why we're here. We are not quiet about what we do. We have probably about 10 right now ladies who serve. What has been so neat is to watch how God brings different people to us with diff- who is an evangelist who was here today. She opens her mouth and Jesus just pours out. So we have that. And then we have Valerie, who's a very quiet team member who just can sit and chat with a woman very quietly. So it looks different for every sister and for every team member. Mm -hmm. God's just using gifts and talents in a really unique way how he melds it all together. What's been amazing for me is I actually had COVID in January (laughs) and one of the sisters reached out to me and said, I want you to know I'm praying for you. You know, they, it's not one-sided. Right. Now, these, there's a lot of the ladies that we serve, if not the broad, the broad majority of them mm-hmm. who are believers. They're in a horrible place in life right now, but they are believers. And they, I guarantee you, their prayer life is just as active, if not more active than many uh, church Christians that you see in church on Sunday, because that's, they rely on God to get through the day. Very good. So going back to riding with the police car, what does that situation look like? Because isn't prostitution illegal? It is. We're not riding with the police right now because they have a shortage of police officers. So we actually are paying a security company. We have a grant for that to help us in one neighborhood right now, or three neighborhoods, I guess they're going into mm-hmm. right now. Basically, we would approach them when they were not working. So there wasn't any reason for them to engage. They were just identifying they knew a girl. Mm-hmm. But now it's really interesting. Now, if we go out with a police officer, we know the women and they don't because yeah. we know so many of the ladies come here. We have such a huge amount of traffic in and out of our facility that we know more of the ladies by sight than the officers do. What is your monthly traffic count? So I think I just did for the year, it's been over 350 so far. Mm-hmm. And we served 398 total last year. Yeah, so it's a lot more this so year than last year. So it's a lot more. And I think it was 350 not including clubs. So we're going to, mm-hmm. with clubs, we're probably going to be well over 400 this year. Yeah, it's year. hard to count the clubs because the ladies move around from club to club and they don't use their real names. So we don't really have a database yeah. for them. We just have a database for the ladies who can come in here and do an intake. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. Wow, wow. That's that's pretty heavy. But we've served what over eleven hundred. Over eleven in our database, we have over eleven hundred women that we've served since we started keeping track in twenty seventeen. Yeah. Eleven hundred different five. ladies in five yeah. years, mm-hmm. and that's just a one city. That's in one neighbor, two neighborhoods yeah. in one city. There's okay. there's many we haven't touched. Oh my! All right. Well, there's a big need for uh, a lot more people to be involved. So, talk to us. Let's first talk about if they wanted to come here and learn from you guys. How do, how do you get started? We, we have a team member training we try to do probably every two months. We have one coming up in August. Uh, they can find out information about that on our webpage, which is uh, nataliesisters.org. It's N-A-T-A-L-I-E-S-S-I-S-T-E-R-S.org. So there's two S's in the middle and one at the end. Or they can find us on Facebook, and we run ads on there as well. But there's one in August. Or they can call us, 859-533-5946. And uh, we can give them that information and get them in touch with our training coordinator. That would be for folks who are interested in the hands-on training. They actually go through a training and get, we do a background check. We're very careful about who we put in right. touch with our sisters. Mm-hmm. For those who are interested in dropping off meals, 
making snack bags, doing toiletry kits, all the things, and collecting leggings and T-shirts and all the things that we give away, they can just call us and we'll arrange a drop-off time. Okay, so there's opportunity to be trained, opportunity to donate meals, and uh, good. Very good. So let's talk to those who are going to be in other cities, and they're ready to get something. They're not really sure where to begin. Well, we've trained probably 20 or 25 different ministries through the years, so the best thing to do is just to call us and chat with us or send me an email, which you can do through the website. And we're happy to share. What I tell people is our training really consists of telling of educating you on all the mistakes that we've made in the last 23 years and hopefully it gives you a good base we share our training manual we'll share materials our application for team members we don't hold on to anything like that with a closed fist we feel Mm -hmm. like it's god what god's provided to us over the years and we want to share that so we have groups that come in and train with us as well we're willing to host folks and do whatever we can to help them train and and be equipped to do the same thing or whatever god leads them to do in their own town The one thing I would say is if there is, if you're thinking about it in your town, find out if one exists already. There are many, many across the nation that are reaching out and doing, especially club ministry. That's a big thing. I would find out if there's an existing ministry and try to work with them. It's very difficult if you go into a town that already has a similar ministry and you try to do your own thing. It can get very confusing for the women in the clubs or the women on the street. They don't know who's who. They don't know who to reach out to. And it becomes almost a competition, which does not need to happen. Right. Right. That's a... That is a good bit of advice. I appreciate you pointing that out. So your vision here is to see sexually trafficked and exploited women restored to their families, their communities, and to God as they realize their true identity and full potential. So their families obviously have a lot of dysfunction. What does that restoration look like? So we have a woman who just, I think she just got her two years. And in her testimony, she talks about being pregnant with her daughter and losing custody of her daughter and all the things she went through. And now that she's two years sober, she is reunited with her daughter. She sees her grandchildren every day. I think her direct quote was, my grandchildren will never have to see me drunk or high. Wow. They'll only know me as grandma. Wow. Her you know, family's been knit back mm-hmm. together. Her and her daughter have worked on their relationship. So a lot of our sisters who are clean and sober now have reunited with family. The one I was talking about earlier, who is a peer support specialist now, she's reunited with a lot of her family, her mother and her daughter, and kind of breaking those generational cycles, you know, modeling good behavior for her daughter now. Yeah, there are a lot of women who have lost custody of their kids, mm-hmm. and some of them actually do gain custody back. Wow. Doesn't always happen. Yeah. Um, but it has, we have seen it happen. We had a mm-hmm. sister who came in pregnant, mm-hmm. and I was able to get her. Uh, she'd actually just had the baby. She'd come in pregnant, and then she just had her baby, and I was able to get her to residential healing and then to a program where she could have her baby with her. And now they're living on their own in their own apartment, and she's raising her, and it's just yeah. amazing to see. Well, something that you pointed out a couple of times, you said it doesn't always happen. And the nature of ministries like this is that there's there's not going to be a 100% success rate. Um, we wish there there would be. But the fact that there is a 1% or a 2% success rate is much better than doing nothing. These types of ministries, rescue ministries, are very, very challenging. So I think it's an important perspective for people to understand. Tell us about some of the, the struggles, the challenges that yeah. you've had to endure. It, it is very difficult. 
I think the longer, and I, I, I've heard other people say something, I've heard people say similar and I've heard them say the opposite. For me, the longer I've been in it, the easier it is for me to accept that it's a, it's not going to be a success every time. I think people come into it expecting, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get this and, and, or the first two or three times the lady says, oh, I'm really interested in going to that program. And, you know, Rachel and I have maybe talked to them for the last year and we know that they've said that for the last year and they may not be going. So we have to very gently, especially with new team members, let them know, take it with a grain of salt, pray about it, pray as much as you can, but don't let it get you down if she chooses not to go because this is kind of her pattern for the last year because eventually she may go. And we've seen girls who we've, we've taken care of and helped since 2012 that just last year moved into their own apartment or moved into residential healing. So it can take five or six years. Sometimes it's the first day they come. Yeah. We'll send them to a residential home. We'll say, we do this, this, and this. And she's like, sign me up and they'll <laughs> go. So it's just very different. And you have to be aware, I think. Yeah. And have a heart for the ministry. Mm-hmm. Because I came from a child protective services background. That's what I did before I was here. And it just really beat me down. I would, the burnout was just terrible. And then when I got here, it was like, okay, this is where mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be because you know I feel protected by God that protect my heart and protect me while I'm here and protect me from sorrow and get up and be able to do the same things over and over again and be open arms Mm -hmm. it's not a ministry for everybody you have to be called to it for sure and I think too it's also it's important to recognize there is diversity you mentioned other organizations have a certain level of tolerance that if you don't you're not part of their program then you're out the door and thankfully that's not the way every ministry works it's good for those that need it to work that way but uh, you guys have been able to reach a lot of ladies that have been out the door on a few occasions and your faithfulness has seen them through so i'm i'm grateful for that we welcome them back as many times as they want to come back wow well that takes a lot of patience and um faithfulness it's so. not always easy we do <laughs> yeah, have egr people extra grace required <laughs> and they may say that about us sometimes who knows so sure all right well any any final words that you'd like to to challenge our listeners with i think just if you are looking to get into this ministry first off look to see what other people around you are doing <laughs> and then just Talk to people in your community. Talk to law enforcement. Talk to other partner agencies because I know there's, you know, people at the health department like needle exchange. They might be saying, we're seeing women all the time who are being trafficked and we have nowhere to send them to or nobody for them to talk to. So talk, making those strong partnerships with other community partners, even if they're not doing the same ministry as you, mm-hmm. they might be having people come there that are your same population. That's, yeah, that's a great point. We started out, we only had a partnership with the police department. And we did not have all these community partnerships. And I'll tell you, it's much easier today. We had a wellness fair for our sisters, and we had seven partners here. We had two residential healing Mm -hmm. programs. The paramedic program was here to do some testing. We had a lady here doing hep C and HIV testing. We had a detox facility here. Mm -hmm. And medical and dental. And medical and dental Mm -hmm. clinic. So, and having those, all those wraparound services to offer the ladies is critically important. And we started out without that. And so every person who came in, we'd have to find out something. But now we have those partnerships available. So if you could do that, if you're going to start a ministry, if you can get that in place beforehand, it'll save a lot of time and a lot of heartache. Okay, great. 
we've talked about club ministry and relationships with the managers and the staff members there. You've had a privilege to serve in different capacities. What does the club scene look like since Natalie Sisters has been working with them? It's gotten a lot smaller. There's still several clubs in town, but several of them have shut down, which we're always grateful when that happens. Yeah. However, it does put some of our girls out of work, and we'll end up seeing them here at the drop-in center because they end up on the street. So there's this balance of celebration and fear when a club does close. Mm-hmm. But we've seen two clubs close. We actually had a, have a relationship with a, a very good friendship with a gentleman that owned two clubs in town. And he had several deaths in his family. Uh, a couple were drug-related. And he just really, he started attending 608 at Southland with us and was going to church regularly. He's since moved out of town, but he closed down two of his clubs, just closed them. Wow. Did not sell them, closed them, great. which was great. And then another one closed due to violence in the club. They were actually pretty much forced to close down. So we, we do have three less clubs than, than what we've had at different times in the past, which is great. Yep. Again, though, we are seeing some of those ladies at our door here. Mm-hmm. Especially during COVID when clubs were shut down, mm-hmm. that was a big fear of that's your income, you mm-hmm. know. I'm seeing ladies who have been in the clubs who are on the street. Yep. Mm-hmm. And our numbers went way up during COVID. Okay. Well, that's a blessing from COVID we can be thankful for. Very good. All right. Thank you so much. 